You know, I just spent the, the last couple of days with some friends, and uh, we were with someone who has cancer, and she's just bubbling over with the goodness of God all the time. And she talks about, you know, when she goes to the cancer clinic and, and they, they say, uh, how are you doing? And she's like, oh, I'm doing fantastic. And they're like, we don't hear that much around here. And, you know, I think it's awesome when we can pronounce the goodness of God in the midst of, of things that aren't going perfectly well. Because God is good all the time. Amen? Amen. So this morning, we are going to talk about the goodness of God because God has provided us with a new children and family ministries director, Elisa MD, and we are going to be commissioning her at the end of the message. And, um, and we are also going to be commissioning Miss Debbie as she moves into the role of uh, uh, Ottawa director of Safe Families and uh, into a new role that God has opened up to her, for her. And, you know, I've never heard a congregation erupt in clapping at the end of someone's resignation. And yet, I know why everyone clapped when she resigned. It's because they saw the call of God on Debbie's life to do this ministry that God has clearly called her to. And so we see God's hand moving people around, putting people into place. And we get to be a part of that. And it's exciting. Um, so while this morning's message is actually devoted and directed at these two godly women, um, the message is equally valid for anyone who calls Jesus Christ Lord. Equally valid for anyone who desires the approval of Christ Jesus on their life. And to come to the end of their life and hear the Master say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. How many of you would like to hear that? Amen? Yeah, amen. Absolutely. So let's pray and ask God to bless his word as we look into it this morning. Father, we come before you. We thank you for your word that directs us. We thank you for your spirit that calls people into ministry and gives them gifts. Lord, you have you you said that you give gifts just as you determine. And so we thank you, Lord, for the the people that you have given us, the gifts that you have given them to serve us and to glorify your name in this place. And so, Father, we pray that as we open your word, we pray that you would speak to each of us. We pray, Lord, that particularly you would speak to Elisa and De Miss Debbie, Lord. We ask that you would uh, direct them and guide them, and that they would hear your voice in this message. And, Lord, we pray that for all of us, that we will be open to the Spirit as he speaks to the church this morning. And, Lord, I, I humbly admit that... I'm your spokesman today, Lord, and I don't feel up to the task. And yet, Lord, you have called me. And so, Father, I pray that you would anoint me, that I may speak your word in power and in truth, and that it would be uh, challenging to us and cut to heart and marrow. Um, for we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in northern Russia, there's this group of people called um, the Net Nenets people. And they are, um, they are actually reindeer herders. 
I've never heard of this before. Like, who herds reindeer? Well, these people do. They live in, in teepees, basically. And every, during the migration days, they actually pack up their tents every day and go for a 15-mile hike with all of their gear. And they actually get the reindeer to tow their gear. They catch wild reindeer, lasso them, hook them up to their wagons, and off they go. Pretty crazy. Anyways, I was researching this. And they live in this region of Russia. Now, you can see that Canada's on one side of the map, Russia's on the other. This is looking directly down on the North Pole. And you'll notice that James Bay isn't even on this map. It's too far south. So these people are right up there in the Arctic Circle where it's freezing cold. Anyways... um, Almost three years ago, on December 19th, there were these two uh, Nenets uh, guys riding a snowmobile across the open sea on the, on the Arctic ice. Well, the ice cracked, and their snowmobile went through, and it sank to the bottom of the, the, the Gulf of Orb. Ob, sorry. Um, I'd never heard of the Gulf of Ob before, but it's in northern Russia. Anyways, it's minus 31 out. I'm uh, minus 35, sorry. Uh, I don't think it matters whether it's Fahrenheit or Celsius at this point. It's just blooming cold, you know. And these guys are stranded out on this ice flow that's heading off into the Arctic Ocean, and they're in serious trouble. Luckily... They must have had some radio or some device that they were able to call out an SOS. And uh, so the Alexander Snavikov, sounds like a Russian ship, uh, was called upon to do a search and rescue mission for these two lost guys who were out on this uh, ice floe. And uh, so they, the, the uh, Alexander Snavikov flipped on its massive spotlights and started searching the ice uh, in the bay in the gulf of orb the only thing is that they didn't they there wasn't given a specific location and the gulf of orb is uh ob sorry the gulf of ob is 44,000 square kilometers it's massive it's bigger than switzerland <laughs> so you're looking for these two guys on this massive ice ice flow in this massive gulf and uh but the alexander snovikov it has massive searchlights and they're lighting up the night and and of course december 15th this 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 part of the world it's dark for 20 hours a day on December 19th. Like, it's just dark all the time. So there's the ship. They turn on the spotlights, and they're searching back and forth across the light, back and forth, back and forth, for hour after hour. And actually, after two hours, this is what happens. There's the ship. Another view of the ship. And this is live footage. Not live, but you know what I mean. <laughs> you see the two dudes out there? <laughs> they got this searching spotlight. And they're zipping over there. Said, oh, zoom in. Oh, yeah, there's a couple of guys out there. They found the two guys, and they bring them aboard. I think we have another slide of the, the guys. Uh, so you can see the one is dressed in the traditional uh, um, reindeer skins of the people. And so... They, they rescued these guys. Now, now the uh, Siberian tribes dubbed this 
uh, a needle in a haystack rescue, Arctic rescue. They were just amazed that they could find. Um, and, um, but it was a success. But in, for just a moment, I want you to think about this ship and its searchlight going back and forth, back and forth. And I want you to relate it to something that God does. Okay? Uh, the Bible says that God does something very similar in Second Chronicles 16, verse 9. It says that he's searching. And his eyes are roving back and forth. And what's he searching? Is he, you know, Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Is that what God's searching for, the lost? No, actually, in this case, he's searching for someone else. Look, look what it says. The Lord's eye keeps roaming. It's just like a searchlight, just roaming around. Throughout the whole earth. God's looking for something over the whole earth. Everyone. He's got 8 billion subjects that he's looking into right now. And he's looking for those whose hearts completely belong to him. Isn't that an awesome sentence? Why? So that he might strongly support them. Did you know that? That God's in the search. His eyes keep on roaming around. Did you know that God is looking actively for people whose hearts are united to him. That's really cool. And the, what's the purpose? Why is he God's, God doing this? Is he like, oh, you know, I'm going to uh, bless them or I'm going to... No, it's so that he might strongly support them. In other words, he wants to get behind what they're doing. And so if you've ever wondered, why is God not getting behind what I'm doing? Maybe your heart isn't fully devoted to him. Maybe when his searchlight went over you, It didn't reveal anything particularly strong about your heart and your desire for God. And so he just carries on. But the ones where searchlight stops on, those are the ones he shows himself powerful to help them. Now, of course, they're going to be doing the will of God, right? They're going to be doing his duties, his his desires. And so he just comes along and, ah, I'm going to help that one. Um... And you might think, well, this is just one little verse in the Bible. But actually, there's a number of verses in the Bible that says pretty much the same thing. And Ezekiel says, God says, I looked for someone to repair the wall, to stand on the, in the gap on behalf of the land, but I couldn't find anyone. What a sad state. God is looking for someone to stand up for righteousness. If you read that passage in context... God is looking for someone to stand up for righteousness, to stand against the evil of the times. And, and he's, God says, I can't find anybody. Nobody's willing to make a stand for righteousness. Wow, that's very sad. Well, Elisa, Debbie, anyone who's following the Lord, this is part of our calling to stand against unrighteousness and i believe god has searched and he's found a couple of ladies and he's going i'm going to uh, uphold these ladies as they do because their hearts are with me there's another place in the bible that says pretty much the same thing you've probably heard of this line before it's found in um, first samuel the lord has sought it, it basically samuel speaking to the king king saul 
And he says to the king, the Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. And the Lord has appointed him ruler over his people. Now, this is a very dangerous thing to say to a king. You know, if you're a prophet, you go up to the king. Well, God's actually found someone a little better than you, dude. Uh, Someone who's actually got his heart and mind. Um, And, of course, Samuel was talking about King David, uh, whose heart was set on God. And if you look through David's life, you can see this all throughout his life. His heart was sold on God. And and he had no fear. It caused him to have absolute faith in God. You can see this. The first time you see this really clearly is when he goes up against Goliath, right? Comes against this monster of a man who's been fighting since he was a young man and basically killing all his opponents. And David runs out to the Philistine and he says to him, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord of God, the the Lord of hosts, the God of the, the Israeli army. I'm like, dude, that's pretty impressive, you know? And, and this, this huge man has this spear and a javelin. And what's David running with? He's got his shepherd's staff. <laughs> he's got a, a stick. And he's got some rocks in his pocket. And this is the type of thing he says. And he says, you know, This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. Who is David trusting? His slingshot ability? I don't think so. He was trusting God. Uh, And all those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves for the battle is the Lord, and he will give all of you into our hands. This is, this is the ultimate trash-talking man. <laughs> and David was doing it. And you can see God, the heart for God. He was all about He was willing to lay his life down on the line because he believed so strongly that this uncircumcised Philistine was defying the God of the Israelites, and he would have none of it. Just no way. That's not going to happen. And so you can also see David's heart, um, not just when he steps out in faith, kind of rashly, <laughs> but also uh, not rashly because he was trusting in God, but also when Saul is chasing him around the country. Saul's trying to kill David for no good reason. And David gets this opportunity to retaliate, to get rid. He's already been anointed king. He knows God has given him the authority to rule the Israelites, and he knows he can do a way better job than King Saul. And so God delivers King Saul into his hands, and he's very able to kill him. And instead, he says, May the Lord judge between you and me, and may the Lord take vengeance on you for me, but my hand will not be against you. What humility. What an amazing man. This is the... This is the same attitude that we find in Jesus Christ, don't we? Isn't it? When he said to those who killed him on the cross, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. This is the attitude of a heart after God. And you can see David's humility when, uh, when Michael, the, the, the king's daughter, was given to him. And David says, Is it a trivial thing in your sight to become the king's son-in-law since I am only a poor man and insignificant? These are... The sayings of a man whose heart is after God. There's this weird humility about him. 
this weird sense that God is in control. And I'm just going to follow what he says. And, you know, a lot of times we think, yeah, but David sinned, didn't he? He he was a murderer. He was an adulterer. And you're like, how can God call him a man after God's own heart? And I love that God calls him a man after his own heart because of David's response when someone challenges him. He starts weeping. And he says, I have sinned against the Lord. I mean, he just breaks down. He's very upset. You know, when, when, the, when, he, when he has a sin of pride and he counts the people and God judges him, he's very contrite. And so this was his attitude. And of course, you can see the heart for God in this worshiper, right? I mean, yeah, we all know that David danced before the ark of the Lord, was singing in tambourines and got stripped down to his underwear and he's dancing so hard. And yet, that's not where he learned to worship, was it? He learned to to learn on the on the hillsides, playing his instrument and singing, Our Lord, the, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. This is David singing songs to all by himself on some hillside with the sheep. He was a worshiper long before he ever became a leader. This is a heart for God. This is what God is calling you ladies and all of us to do, to be like that, having this passion And so these three passages make it pretty clear that God is on the lookout for a certain kind of people, people whose heart is searching hard after God. And he's looking for them, whose hearts are focused on the things that God cares about. I mean, Jesus himself said it the same way. He said, um, you know, don't search for food and clothing and all that stuff, but seek first the kingdom of God and God will make sure you get all this other stuff. And this is what God is doing. He's in the business of looking after the people who are searching hard after him. So I have one question for all of us, for the two godly ladies as well. When God shines his searchlight on you, what does he see? I had to ask myself that this morning. (laughs) I had to go, Oh, what are you seeing, God? And I wasn't that impressed with what I think God saw. And I'm like, wow, I need, I need a heart boost. I need a boost up. And so that's my prayer for myself. But we need to do that, don't we? What is God's searchlight showing up in my life right now? I love it in, in 1 Samuel 7, uh, God says to David, I took you from the sheep pen and I made you the leader of Israel. In other words, God is saying, I did this. And you know, sometimes when we see successful uh, people in ministry like, like Miss Debbie, we, we think like, wow, isn't she amazing? But God is the one who did this in here. And when we see Elisa busy in ministry and, you know, not very many people knowing about it, except for the parents, of course, and the children. And, and we have to remember that God is the one 
that is raising these ladies up to new heights of leadership. And he's doing it. Why? Because he saw their hearts. Because he saw their faithfulness in the ministry that they were currently in. And he said, wow, I'm going to show myself mighty on their behalf in the future to build into them. And so it's an awesome thing that we have this privilege of being part of that journey to greater things that God is calling each of them to. Um, Sometimes once we have success in ministry, and it could be any kind of ministry, we can just start getting complacent and thinking, oh, well, God is just blessing us and it's great. And we forget to do the hard work of seeking hard after God. We forget to do the hard work of building that relationship with God so that it will flow out of us. And so, Elisa, Debbie, never forget that it's God that lifted you up from a place uh, of uh, somewhat obscurity <laughs> and, and brought you to a place of honor and respect among the people of our church and among the people of our city. Um, and so it's independence upon him and remaining faithful to him that he will remain faithful to you. Uh, the key ingredient for the new chapter in your lives is the same as the old chapter, right? It's abiding in Christ. I want to just read this. Jesus said, remain in me as I, and as I also remain in you. Jesus said, he'll never leave you nor forsake you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Praise God for that. I love that verse. Uh, because it just says it's a, it's, a, it's a guarantee, it's a promise. If you abide in me and I abide in you, you will bear much fruit. And so uh, whenever I feel like fruitless in ministry, I kind of go like, oh yeah, i got to abide. Because uh, then, then God will turn it around. Um, if you do not remain in you, me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. I love that. God is very concerned. Just like that promise I talked about in that first verse from Chronicles, where God's searchlight is seeking, so that he might prove himself powerful same kind of attitude here the point is this is my to my father's glory that you bear much fruit god wants you to bear fruit in ministry and so i hope that you'll never forget that's god that is calling you to launch out into the deep and i know for both of you you're both feeling like whoa man this is a big this is a big job god is calling me and last week we talked about launching out into the deep because he says so and you know we are affirming this call today on your lives we believe that god has ordained this for you and god has called you to this place and so yes you're launching out into the deep and yes you are going to be dependent upon god to do this ministry but God is faithful, and he will do what he has called you to do. You know, in Matthew 25, and this is the last illustration I want to give, but Jesus tells this wonderful story about this guy going on a journey. And he says, and Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like this merchant who went on a journey, and he left his goods with his servants. And one guy gave him five bags of gold, to another guy gave two bags of gold, and to another guy gave a bag of gold. 
and he went off on his journey. And uh, when he comes back, he returns and he settles account with them. And the man who received five bags of gold, he says, Master, I have put your, your, your money to work. And see, I have another five bags of gold. And the master says these words. Um, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. And the man with two bags of gold, he came along as well. And he said, Master, see, I put your bags of gold to work. And see, I have two, two more bags. And the master said to him, same thing. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's joy. Now, there's two things that are glaringly obvious from this passage. One is that God rewards those who are faithful in the small things. You know, when, when I was a teenager, you know, I taught Sunday school at church. I did, you know, I went to boys camp and became a, a, a leader there and did these little jobs around the church. And God rewarded those and he gave me more responsibility. More Now I have so much responsibility, I don't know what to do with it all. But... Uh, you know, that's the way God works. He takes the, the people who are faithful in a little job that they were assigned to, some little task. Maybe it's just sharing the, the gospel with your neighbor or maybe just mowing the lawn at church every week, faithfully, faithfully, faithfully. And God takes those people and he says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in a few things. I'm going to give you more responsibility. I'm going to, I'm going to raise your stature. I'm going to give you many things to look after. And that's the way God says. And the second thing we learn from this is that there is joy in this transition. You know, there's joy from going to being in charge of a few little things, a few bags of gold. That seems like more than a few little things, but anyways. But there's joy as we enter into the master's happiness. And you know, I've noticed about people who are in ministry, they're happy people. They love it. They, they experience God's blessing in their life, driving them on to fulfill. And they, they feel God's blessing on them. I, I love what Eric Lindor said when he was running. I, when I run, I feel God's, God's um, presence with me. And when we're in ministry, we feel God's presence with us. It's an amazing thing. Of course, there was this one other servant in this passage. And the master says, you know, like, okay, well, how'd it go with you? Oh, I'm a, I knew you were a hard guy, and I, I, I stuck the money in the ground. And, and so, I, you know, here's your bag of money back. Master's upset. Why didn't you put it on deposit? At least get something back. And he judges them harshly. And you know, for Elisa and Miss Debley, I don't think this particular passage applies to you guys. But there is another passage, another warning passage that applies. Uh, Jesus is talking about little kids. And he's talking about how important they are to him in the kingdom. And then he says, in the middle of this context of talking about children, that they're the ones that inherit the kingdom of God, he says, if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and drown in the depths of the sea. Ew. Ew. 
In other words, God sees children's ministry as vital, absolutely vital. And if we had a show of hands who received Christ before they were 18 years old, virtually, I'm sure there'd be 95% of the people in the room would raise their hand. That's why God believes in children's ministry, right? Because it's so vital. It's so vital to our faith. And so God is very concerned. And so he has this really nasty call. You know, there's going to be a millstone hung around. You know, millstones are like 800 pounds. So if you got that hung around your neck, you're going down. And uh, there was one pastor who was talking about this passage. And he said, you know, like he was taking his, as a teenager, he was taking his bronze medal swimming. So this qualifies you to become a lifeguard. And uh, he was taking the test, and he was, he was absolutely determined that he was going to pass this test. And he did everything. But they, what they do at the very end of the test is they throw a, a weight down into the bottom of the pool. And you have to swim down there, pick up that weight, and carry it to the surface. Well, he swims down there no problem, but once he gets to the weight, he can barely lift it. And he tries to swim, and he's struggling with it, and he can't get it up. And he, like his whole... This is dependent on this. He has to do this. And he fights and he fights. And finally, his lungs are screaming for air. And he's freaking out. And finally, he drops the weight and goes up to the surface. And he says, I've experienced what that would be like. And it's absolute terror. (laughs) You don't want this. And so this warning is about God's heart for children. And God has this great heart for children. And Debbie, you're in the going to be in the rescue of families and children ministry and that's god's work in our city and elisa you're going to be involved in this ministry of guiding and directing children that's god's work and god's pretty passionate about it he says if you mess up it's better if you got thrown in the sea Uh, i'm glad those aren't my words (laughs) because i'd be embarrassed to say those but that's god's word so it's, it's challenging. And, but like I said earlier, you're not doing this yourself. And the Bible says, See to you that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. And so there are angels that are, that are connected with children that are always before God. What a beautiful picture. And Jesus says, so be careful. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. He was faithful to the one who appointed him. Just as Moses was faithful in all God's house, Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of the house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful in, as a servant in all God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. But Christ is faithful as son over God's house. Jesus was faithful, all right? And the Bible says this about Jesus. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus, every knee would bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God our Father. Just like Jesus humbled and did the will of God 
even though he didn't want to, he prayed three times that God would take the cup from him, but he still did it faithfully, and then God exalted him. And I believe that both of you godly ladies have served God effectively, powerfully, and God is pleased, and he is, wants to exalt you in this congregation, in, in our city. Um, and God will do it. 